this is episode 8 where I'm talking with Dr. Victoria Duda about the significance of our past lives. Welcome to the Multidimensional Evolution Podcast. I am your host, Kim McCall. If you want to find out more about life beyond the physical dimension, this is the place to be. We will be having conversations to expand your consciousness, help you reconnect with your essential self, and live life as an integrated, multidimensional human being. But given the subject matters a request, don't believe in anything, including what is shared here. Experiment, have your own experiences, and always use discernment. The musical introduction to this episode is by Finnish fusion artist Axel Teslev and his song Reincarnation. My guest today is Victoria Duda from Budapest, Hungary. Victoria is a spiritual anthropologist, hypnotherapist, and writer. She conducts past life regressions internationally, mainly via Skype. She also runs workshops and has spoken at numerous international conferences focused on the multidimensional aspects of our existence. In this conversation, she shares how she went from being a successful lawyer to finding her calling in exploring past lives through hypnotherapy. Among other things, we talk about the complexity of memory when considering past lives, the way trauma and guilt from past lives carry on in the present and hold us back from living our lives fully, the potential value of past life work to conditions of body integrity and gender dysphoria, and much more. If you're interested in researching your own multi-existential history, I encourage you to stay tuned until the end, when Victoria makes a very generous offer to people open to conducting research with her. If you want to understand the nitty-gritty side of past lives, you will get a lot of great information in this episode. Before we get into you telling us a bit more about how you work with memories of past lives. Mm. I'm just really curious, you know, this is not a conventional kind of thing for people to get into. And so I'm assuming there is some kind of story for how you even got into this area of work. Mm. Yes, there is indeed a story. And uh, it was also not something that happened overnight, as you can imagine. Mm. So I was starting a completely different career. I was actually a lawyer um, and I was working in uh, Vienna in Austria. And at the same time, I had experiences which you would call multidimensional that were so profound that I started to have the feeling on a deeper and deeper level that I am in the wrong profession and I'm on the wrong track in life. And I think you are someone who would understand how painful something like that can be. And it was very painful because otherwise my life was really great. You know, I wasn't unhappy in whatever I was doing, but there was something missing. The essence was missing. And I kept telling to my colleagues at that time, I said, I can't sleep at night because I have the feeling I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do in my life. Mm. And nobody understood. You know, they just said, oh, we all have that. Just have a beer. And I said, no, but I really mean it. 
And I think the breakthrough was when I started to have out-of-body experiences, when I had what you would call the extra physical helpers lifting me out of my body and showing me that I was floating on the ceiling and I could see my sleeping body and the sleeping body of my partner at the time on bed. And at the same time, I was getting the message that this is a different or a bigger reality mm. that we are introducing you to so you understand what is life, what is death. How did that impact you? It was extremely profound. It was like, oh, wow, everything that I was told in school, in society, was at least incomplete. And it has waken up an incredibly deep sense of curiosity. I said, if there is more to life than only this life, then I better explore it. I was actually going through this process of thinking. I was thinking like if the materialist uh, thinkers are right and life ends at death, it doesn't really matter what I'm doing in the meantime, I said to myself. You know, it doesn't matter whether I'm a lawyer and I'm making a lot of money mm. or I start to study consciousness because it's going to be over in a couple of decades anyway. Mm. It's ultimately meaningless. But if there is more, like these experiences suggest, then it would be the greatest mistake on earth not to study it, not to prepare for something bigger. And the feeling got so strong that I quit overnight without any backup, without any thinking of what will happen next. But I just wrote a, wrote a uh, letter to my boss at the time and I said I quit. And I studied hypnotherapy afterwards. And it was still not past life hypnotherapy. You know, I was still cautious enough to first, when I started practicing, I, we moved to England and I started practicing in England. Mm -hmm. And I was still doing more things that are quote unquote normal. I was still more helping people to get rid of their phobias and fears. And I was doing some fitness and uh, helping people to lose weight and that sort of thing with hypnotherapy. So it was still on more on the mainstream side of things, I would say. And then past lives hit me very similar to the out-of-body experiences. They hit me through personal experience. Okay. Yeah, I just started to have flashbacks. And just in your everyday just, life? Yes. Like maybe, how did it start? It was impressions, I would say. It was impressions to begin with that I suddenly things came out of my own memory that didn't seem to be fitting into this life, but they seemed to be very important. Mm. And of course, being a hypnotherapist, the first thing you do is you explore it with with a hypnotherapeutic techniques. Um, but that was not easy for me to deal with. It was a bigger step than the first step because when I when I had out-of-body experiences, I mean, th those of, of the listeners of the podcast who, who have out-of-body experiences, they all know that it is, how shall I put it? It, it, it? it is a proof beyond proof, isn't it? It's, it's like you are being shown that there is more. Mm. It's very tangible. It's very clear. But with the past life memories, it wasn't that dramatic. It wasn't that clear. It was more subtle. Mm. 
So I began to have problems with that intellectual, if you know what I mean. Um, I called it an intellectual nightmare uh, because I like to keep my rational mind no matter what the subject matter is. And I thought to myself, well, to study past life, you don't have any valid sort of methodology. How, how, How do we want to do that? You know, if you, if you, for example, have a hypnotherapy session with someone and that person says, oh, I'm remembering suddenly a past life and they start to talk about a completely different incarnation at a completely different historic time. How do you check that? You know, how do you verify that? I mean, we know from psychology and that just mainstream psychology that Memory is completely unreliable, even in this life. You know, we don't, we've learned in psychology that memory is not just like a database, like in a computer that you check and then there is some information and then you get it out. But memory is constant, human memory is constantly rewritten by our attitudes and our ways of thinking in the present. So it's an organic thing that changes. Even our childhood memories change the way we evolve. Mm. So how would you check a memory that's allegedly going back lifetimes? It's not even stored in your brain, obviously, because your brain hasn't even existed at that time. So unless you want to go around and check historic details, it's it's almost impossible to verify anything. Um. And of course, the memory is also distorting. So you probably don't get historic facts, but you get something more dreamlike. So it's very complicated. It's so complicated that I would have even left left it out of my scope of investigation if it hasn't been for uh, those studies conducted by people like Ian Stevenson and Jim Tucker currently is doing that or Erlendur Haraldsson from the University of Iceland. And these are professors that studied children who spontaneously remember past lives. And those cases for me were paradigm changing. Mm. To read through that was just an experience where I just said, wow. Even though if we don't have a methodology, even though this is really difficult to study, but for me, the proof coming from those cases was so strong that I said to myself, we cannot afford to ignore it. So anyone, I think, who's dealing with psychology of people's mental health or personal development cannot afford to ignore this sort of material because it's mind-blowingly interesting. Because those children spontaneously remember so no one asks them. Uh, there is no danger like you have in hypnotherapy. You have the danger that you are suggesting something. People are very suggestible. But those children, they, they just volunteer this sort of information, sometimes even to parents who are not in the reincarnational culture, yeah. who are maybe Christians or Americans or Westerners. or you know, They, they don't want to hear that stuff. But children come up with names, details, places, professions that can be verified. And in many cases, these details have been verified. Mm. And that, that was, for me, the intellectual breakthrough where I said, 
we cannot ignore it. So it sounds like you really needed, you know, you had your experiences, but you really wanted to have that that factual foundation so you knew what to do with it. I needed a factual foundation to actually decide to study this in depth because right now I'm studying it almost full time. So yes, yes, I needed something that can be verified to a certain level to take it seriously, I guess. Yeah. And so from your, based on your own experiences and then your, your study of, of the works of people like Stevenson and Tucker, mm-hmm. um, what, what is your understanding? How do you conceptualize reincarnation and past lives now? Mm, that is a very good question. And it's also something that I struggled with quite a lot. I guess everybody who's coming across this material is, is struggling with it. And the way I see it now is that the reincarnation understanding is happening in stages. So I don't see that there is one way to look at it. I think there are different ways to look at it depending on what evolutionary stage a certain consciousness is, if that makes sense. So uh, let me give you examples. Yeah. Let me tell you a little bit about these stages so, uh, so you can understand what I mean. Sometimes people, when they first come across reincarnation, they take it very much personally. I think that's the most... I don't want to say unevolved because I don't want to judge it, but it's the most basic level where, you know, what you find in talk shows or in uh, popular books that almost suggests you that there is a reincarnation of the, of the person. You know, if you have these nice, lovely blue eyes, you will have the lovely blue eyes in the next life. Oh, um, okay. It, it, that's sort of very personal. Where they, one of the authors said the skin encapsulated ego is reincarnating and re- oh, nice. understanding that the reincarnation of the person is occurring. So that would be the first step. Yeah. And then a little bit more subtle and a little bit more evolved would be the understanding that it's not the personality that reincarnates, but it's the it's a sort of higher consciousness. You can call it a higher self or you can call it the multidimensional consciousness or you can call it the psychosoma or something that is has the capacity to go beyond one personal life that sort of psychological or psychic entity that has the power to go through into the in-between life state and into a new life. And you, so you see that that is, that is a bigger way sort of understanding a more, more evolved sort of understanding. And then less personalized, I guess, right? Less personalized. Yes. Less ego driven, Mm. but in that, more advanced understanding you already have the concept of an evolution that there is a higher self there is a higher entity that is somehow working through these lives and that has the capacity to learn from these lives and go into a certain direction in the future and uh, well i it, it, it would be too much time to talk about all the stages but one of the highest stages let me take you there would be when you don't even see past lives as anything personal anymore. 
but you see it like Ken Wilber said it in a way that it is the I am that reincarnate the conscious the capacity to know that you exist consciousness itself does that make sense and if you look at it like that it's becoming very powerful because on that stage you can virtually identify not just with quote unquote your past life with the past lives that are closest to you in a yeah. level of cause and effect but you can identify with virtually any past life that ever existed and you can work with them as in some way related to who you are. And when that level is reached, that whole concept is becoming extremely powerful because you identify with consciousness itself and you realize that everything that ever happens is, a, is part of the evolution of consciousness. And people who have reached that level of understanding, and that can also occur on, on, on other levels, but on the more advanced level, is you can, you can become extremely tolerant to everybody around you. That's a practical value of this world, that you become extremely tolerant. And tolerant is probably not even the right word. But empathy comes to mind. Empathy, yes, yes, yes. Empathic. You can become very empathic and you can become very compassionate towards every human being and even every living being, every sentient being, not necessarily human, also animals or whatever life form you, you encounter. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. So a person who has that level of understanding would never judge, for example, a murderer. Because if you have done the work, you realize that you have been a murderer many, many times. You know, we, we have committed the most horrendous crimes many, many times over. So you understand that it is part of the consciousness. That doesn't, the conscious evolution, that doesn't mean that you say murder is okay. Quite the contrary. You realize that is uh, something we are learning to evolve beyond. But somehow it's easier to learn to um, evolve beyond these sort of deeds when you know they are there. Yes. That makes sense. When, yeah. when you know you are capable of that. So you have a choice afterwards not to commit murder, torture, and all sorts of crimes that humans have committed in history and are still committing. And also, I think when you, the way you describe it, you know, that understanding that you are the murderer and you are the victim, you can identify equally with yes. the consciousness. It, it kind of gets you out of the loop of then just wanting retribution. And, yes. You know, maintaining the kind of the cycle. Yes, absolutely. So one of the techniques I use, for example, in the past life therapy sessions is that when a crime occurs, as somebody remembers, for example, being the victim of a crime, being the victim of some sort of persecution, for example. And then, of course, remembering that can be quite traumatic and is bringing up a lot of emotions. So these emotions require some sort of handling. You have to work with them therapeutically to turn them into something positive. So one technique that we can do is I call it the getting into the mind of the opponent. 
So if you have been the witch who's been burned at the stake, then in a heightened state of consciousness, you can go into the minds of those who did the burning and ask why did they do that? That was actually a reported case in literature that a woman was actually doing that. She went into the minds of those priests who burned her as a witch. And when she did that, she found that those priests were afraid. She always thought they hated her and they judged her and they wanted her to feel guilty and all that sort of thing. But she found out that they were actually scared because they really believed at that time in history that she was possessed by the devil. Mm. They didn't make that up. They really believed that. And uh, they thought it was the lesser of two evils to burn that little girl than to allow Satan to take over the world domination. Yeah. And in that moment when she realized that, she no longer hated those priests. And it liberated her frozen energy around that event because the energy also kept her from doing healing work. Mm. because the healing work was bound by this feeling of guilt. The priests actually told her, you can never be forgiven and you're going to burn in hell forever. And to release that sort of frozen energy, she had to understand that it was not personal. And these things can be very powerful. And you to, to always go to the others. It is very powerful. And I think that's a really yeah. powerful story because uh, so many people um, who are interested in, in different alternative healing modalities and so on, yeah. seem to carry some aspect of that long, long period of persecution that we had um, in this yes. part of the world. So yeah. healing that, you know, is, is really important for so many of us. Yes, it, it is one of the main themes that keep coming back in my work is this dealing with persecution and then there is a, very similar sort of theme that keeps coming back and back with people who are inclined to do healing work, energy work, um, multidimensional work, that there is another type of inhibition and that occurs when these consciousnesses have maybe used energies in the past, but they have in one way or the other abused it. Mm-hmm. So it's a very common theme that someone was doing some sort of magic and it went wrong, uh, either because they worked out of ego and egotistic reasons or because they were just not quite aware of what they were doing. So a kind of, uh, there is this poem in German, isn't there, the Zauberlehrling, when the magician's apprentice is trying out some uh, magic that the master is uh, is doing, and because he's just the apprentice, it gets out of control. Well, I think there's a Disney a Disney film of that. Is there a Disney that, film as yeah, well? Yeah, an old, yeah. an old, an old one. Yes, yes. I, I think it's probably something, some topic that keeps coming back in fairy tales because it's a very deep archetype, mm. and it it comes up a lot in my sessions. So when that happens then that leaves this sort of energetic imprint that in later life, that consciousness is very reluctant to use anything uh, like energies or multidimensional work, uh, which is, of course, a shame because that just puts a break to their evolution. 
Yeah. So in that case, it also helps a lot to find, okay, where did I do wrong? Where did I do something? Or sometimes people just done something really horrible in their past. And um, that brings guilt. So I, it's, it's common. I've observed that, for example, people who have been involved in a Nazi regime, that they live a life today in which they may be very talented, they may be wealthy, they may be intelligent, they may have a good background, but they are not ready to use it. So one, one of my clients described it as driving a car with the handbrakes on. They live their lives at the moment with the handbrakes on. Or they try, they always feel that they have to keep a low profile. They have to have little impact. Because of guilt. Because they, yes, because of guilt. And because they also see what sort of bad impact they can do when they unleash their power. Mm -hmm. yes. So they are afraid to unleash their power. Yes. But of course, that is also a shame because they are also unleashing positive power, positive things that they could do. So would you say, because um, one thing that I've sometimes had in conversations with people, they've said to me, well, you know, why should I care about past lives really? As long as I deal with my psychological challenges and so on now, you know, if I deal with things in this life, that should take care of you know, that you just take care of everything. Mm. Um, would you say there is certain content? Like, how would you respond to that? And is, would you say there's certain content that is, I guess, simply not accessible to us until we kind of tap into it? Yes, there is. But I also would never encourage someone who says that. I would just say that's fine. I would not push past life work on anyone because I think it's a very hard kind of work. I think someone said it is the hard road to consciousness and that is true. So it's not, it's not fluffy. It sounds at the beginning, very exotic and very interesting. And, you know, even a bit like a party game, you know, let's mm. close your eyes, let's relax and let's see whether you have been Cleopatra in your past life, which no one ever was actually. <laughs> it's a cliche that... <laughs> I never. Someone never must have so been. <laughs> Someone must have been, but I, I never. I mean, this is one of the things that you know. I never encountered anyone who came up with some sort of glamorous historic stuff like. That. But anyway, so it it does have that flavor, and sometimes people would just like wanting to go into it uh, for, you know, for the fun of it, I guess. Mm -hmm. In which case, it just doesn't work. So it the whole. The point I'm trying to make is that the, the system is guarding itself. It is a very rich deposit of, of experience that is waiting for us. It's almost like a dark cave where archaeologists can go in and they are bound to find artifacts that will be really, really interesting to understand the present and also the future. But it's a dangerous cave, and it's guarding itself by, you know, not not calling that many people. And I think it's a self-regulating uh, system. If you are interested in your past lives, then by all means explore them. I would very much encourage everybody who's interested to go for it because the rewards are amazing. But if you are not, and if you feel like 
no, I, I'm just I'm just better to deal with the present, then that's probably best for you at that point. Uh, because the present is giving to most people enough to work on. Mm. And that's quite true. Mm. Um, there are some cases, some cases where I think that past life work would be useful regardless of anything, regardless of the evolutionary stage of the person, regardless of philosophy. Um, there are some uh, rare cases where I think only past life therapy would be able to help. And that's why I also think psychologists shouldn't completely ignore this. Um, there are some very bizarre problems. Um, the, when people have body identity identification disorders, um, when people, it's very bizarre when that happens in real life. Um, someone, say, is completely healthy, but they feel like they shouldn't have one of their hands. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and, or they should be blind. And these cases have been reported in psychological literature. And there has been cases, even when a psychologist poured some sort of poison into people's eyes because they were so distressed about being able to see that the only way to quote-unquote cure them was to make them blind. Now, I don't believe that's a legitimate cure. But why does a person believe they have to be blind? I mean, for that, the only explanation that I can think of is an energetic leftover from a past life. Mm -hmm. And in that case, if they explore a past life, I'm almost inclined to say they will, they will change. So in these extreme cases, I think past life therapy is a lifesaver. And it can be used regardless of what they think about it or what they believe in. Also, another area where I think that reincarnation therapy should be explored, and I haven't done it myself, and I haven't done it not because I'm not interested, but because I am simply just one person and I don't have that much time, but hopefully in the future I get around it, is the is gender issue. I think past life therapy could be very, very interesting when we explore gender issues. In particular, people who believe they should be another gender than the body that they've come with. Is that what you mean? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we have so many cases where people actually go through the operation and change their gender, but then they want to go back. Um, and I think these are cases when... You know, for example, a consciousness was reborn in one gender for many, 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 many lifetimes. It's very used to one gender. It's very used to, let's say, being a woman or very used to being a man. And, and then after many, many lifetimes, there is a change and they are suddenly now reborn in the opposite gender's body, which will bound to make them feel uncomfortable because they are not used to that. They have so identified with one gender for many lifetimes that it is feeling weird. And they may interpret that in a way that I have to be the other gender. But then it's also an evolutionary task to explore the other gender. 
So in that case, a gender adjustment operation will not do any good because probably those are the cases where they want to come back because it's the it's their existential program actually. To they actually it. they actually decided to be that they made a choice to come back in this in this particular gender, but then forgot about it again. Some something like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And also, what is very interesting. Um, the idea originally comes from Jung, you know, who was just describing the, the process of individuation, which is very similar to the existential program. I actually believe in a sense of, you know, individuation is all about finding your authentic path and then actually walk it. And Jung described that the more people are advancing on their journey into individuation, the more they are learning to take on the energies of the opposite gender. So he called it the animus. If you're a woman, then it's the animus inside of you, the male energy. And if you're a man, then it's the anima, the female energy in you. And the more this, the, the consciousness advances, the more it's taking on the energies of the opposite gender because it is going towards wholeness. So I think every time when there is a life in which there is some sort of gender, not, not necessarily a gender ident identity crisis, but some sort of going over gender boundaries in any way. It is, it is an evolutionary step. It's actually something really valuable the way I see it. Um, and I think the more people can learn to see that from a multidimensional perspective, the more happy they are with it, the more they can embrace it. And the more they can actually live it fully. Mm. It kind of takes me back to what you were saying earlier about having that sense of consciousness as being, you know, the, the, the murderer, the victim, the carer. And it's kind of the same. It's more of that having the sense of consciousness as being male and female and embodying all of those aspects. Yes. Yes. I think you're very right. I think. The picture that I'm starting to see, because I've done hundreds of cases in the meantime of, of bringing people into their past lives, and I'm starting to see a sort of pattern. Um, and what is the most interesting about it is exactly what you just said. And I think the more the consciousness advances, the more it's integrating, the more it's bringing into awareness. That is something very interesting. And it's not about condemning anything, but using everything to the best. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Learning to use every energy that is available to you to the highest. Yeah. I think Viktor Frankl said that actually in a very psychological way. He wasn't referring to anything multidimensional, just psychology, but, but he was very to the point about it. Um, and the way he said it, that let's say you're born with an inclination towards, you're very interested in everything that's bloody, where people are murdered, and you like some sort of things with weapons and uh, th those sort of dark things, right? And he says, that may be genetic. I mean, we would say that's coming from a past life. But it doesn't matter what you're saying, where it's coming from. It's there you have this sort of inclination. Yeah. 
you can try to suppress it. It's probably not going to work. If that's your topic, your core topic in life, you, you try to suppress it. It's not going to work. You're just going to be very unauthentic. But it's going to be your choice. And I think this is the most important thing ever. It is going to be your choice that you're going to use that energy to become a mass murderer or a genius detective. Yeah. That's your choice. I think this is a brilliant example. The energy is there. You can't change it. But what you do with it is entirely your choice. That's probably all what human life is about, is mm. to make the right choices with the energies that are there. And that's where free will then comes in. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we always have that free will. Always. And the more we know what's inside of us, the more we can exercise those free will. I mean, it's a, of course, it's a legitimate question. Why would someone want to spend hours and hours of therapy time to go into a past where they would learn, for example, not just that they were victims, but that they were the perpetrators? You know, it's even tougher to learn that I was some sort of murderer or religious fanatic or a Nazi torturer or something horrible like that. And I say the value in that is that you know that as a human being, you are capable of the darkest, most horrible crime. And you always have that energy available in you just because you are human and it's part of the human makeup. But once you know that, you have a choice. If you don't know that, if you believe you're a good human being, so to speak, you don't really have a choice because it's an unknown energy that can overcome mm -hmm. you at any time. Yeah, I think if you cling, yeah. cling to that idea that you, you have to be you know, pure or you have to be yes. good. If you cling to the idea that you are good, yeah. you are bound to become very evil very quickly. Mm. Because you are not going to pay attention when the danger is coming. You know, you're not going to, oh, I'm, not, I'm just doing my job. I'm, I'm a good citizen. I'm doing my job. And before you know it, your job is to be a yeah. concentration camp prison guard. Yeah. And you are pushing people into gas chambers, only doing your job because you don't know that you have to watch out for these things. And as a human being, you have to guard not to do them. Yeah. Well, I mean, even and even without bringing uh, past lives into it, um, you know, topic of racism is one that I feel very strongly about. And so... So many of us can't admit that we have racism in us because you know that's bad. So we can't allow we can't allow that. But if we actually allow ourselves to see that, then that's that's when you can start doing something about it. Absolutely. Um, would Would you see? And you said you've had hundreds of cases of you've worked yeah. with people. Um, is your sense that? past lives are some kind of is there sort of a linear progression from you know being let's say less evolved or let's say be lives where we are cruel and we do bad things yeah. to you know gradually becoming less so or is there oh, yeah. something else going oh, on? Yeah. no absolutely absolutely i wouldn't call it linear because it's not happening linear mm -hmm. i would call it more like a spiral mm -hmm. So there is a little bit of irregularity in it. It's not necessarily that every life is a step forward. 
it's more like hiking in a mountain. Sometimes you go a little bit off the road and you don't find your path and then you're going back and you're going around the mountain and so on. And it can be very messy, you know, when you do a lot of sessions with a person and you try to find a pattern, it can be very messy. But overall, absolutely, absolutely. And what is very interesting and beautiful is that in every person's past, there seem to be core issues. I like to call them like Stan Groff called them the coex systems, the condensed experiences. So the same sort of experiences keeps coming back in different forms. So in therapy, we can find them maybe in past lives, but we can find them in dreams. We can find them in archetypal material. We can find them when the person is maybe taking some psychoactive substances, going on a trip and the same topics keep coming back. Or So in different circumstances, in different situations, we can see the same themes arising. Yes. And also in past lives, even though when I have many sessions with the same person, the stories that come up can be quite messy. But when you dig into them, usually you find themes that keep coming back. And these themes do keep evolving. So you might find a very rough and sometimes brutal or negative experience in the deep past, but that becomes more and more subtle and it starts changing. Could you uh, so give an example of, of the sort of theme that might repeat and how that might look? Yeah, so I can give you an example of, for example, one client who in his first past life session remembered that he was a sort of supervisor. I think in the 80, it was the 18th century, of essentially slave labor. Mm. And we went even deeper into the past, and we found that he was not just the supervisor in the deeper past, but he was actually the trader. So he was a slave trader. So this sort of theme, slavery, trading with people and ultimately disrespecting people, I mean, it's the ultimate disrespect of people, this is the theme that kept coming back for him. Also, a sort of ignorance. Uh, there were other past lives where he was like religiously fanatic and he was praying for his wife and his child not to die, and they died anyway. But he wasn't willing to call a doctor because he was thinking that praying enough is enough. And in a very dogmatic way, yeah, in a, just I, I have to believe in God because that's what the church says. And they, it was a sort of religious ignorance. And what is interesting that in the present life of this man, he was born in a third world country, but he very much wanted to come out of that. And it was nearly miraculous. And he was born in a very poor family, in a very poor country, but he just always had that feeling that he needed education. And even as a teenager, he found his way into some local school where he backed himself in. And he managed to not just to get an education, but to come to Europe, to go to university and to do a PhD. But at the same time, he always had this very strong feeling and even fear that something might change in his life that makes him go back 
to the country where he was born. And looking at that from this past life point of view, that he was suppressing people, he was disrespecting people, he was ignorant, but now is using those to those negative things to actually to overcome them. He's trying to overcome them. He's trying to, instead of staying ignorant, to get an education. And after we found out about these themes, we did something that is very interesting. It's a technique that's called future life progression, mm-hmm. where you're not going into the past life, but you're going into the future. And it's important to say about this future life progression that we are not aiming to look into the crystal ball. We are not aiming to time travel. What we are aiming to do is to see where the psyche, the consciousness is going in its present course. Does that make sense? So we just look at if you're not changing anything, if you're doing what you're doing right now, where is that leading you? And do you like that? Are you fulfilling your existential program? Yeah. And if you're seeing no, if I go on this course, I'm not fulfilling my existential program in 10 years' time or at the end of my life, then you can change the course. It's basically a readjustment of the present. And we did this sort of future life progression with this man. And it was very interesting because his life purpose, his existential program started to emerge, which was to work not just get this education that he got himself, but then to work with those kids or with those youngsters in less developed countries to help them to evolve. And you see the beauty of this is that the the theme is suppression through ignorance. But while it was very strongly negative in the past, Mm. it's actually carrying the seed of his existential program. And of his contribution now. Yes. Yeah. And how beautiful is that? Yeah. And that's where I see the power of this method that is so uh, magnificent that even if you find your darkest spot, it's actually sometimes giving you information about your greatest power that you can develop. And even from when you were talking, the, the sense I almost get is that having those experiences that we might describe as dark, you know, painful and, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. also cruel and so on, that, that somehow in that lies the fuel that then eventually when those experiences become too unbearable for us, drives us towards the opposite, drives us towards contributing to others, yeah. drives us towards growth. Yes, I love I love that word that you've been using, fuel, um, because it's a sort of I'm searching for another word and I'm not finding it quite. Um, maybe momentum, mm. you know, to to build momentum towards something. It's very interesting that in uh, contemporary psychology and personal development, we are uh, we are moving. It's very fashionable to talk about positivity, positive thinking, positive feelings, positive everything, which is great. Um, but there is a danger that because we are so tuned into positivity, we are dismissing negative feelings without using them, if you know what I mean. So what I'm trying to say is that positivity is not, in my opinion, it's not ignoring 
negative feelings, but it's using everything for a positive outcome. So if you have strongly negative feelings, instead of suppressing them, you can ask exactly what you were just saying is like, what can I fuel with it? What is the momentum that is behind them and actually channeled it to something mm. um, that you really want to manifest in the world? I, there is a related technique, which is asking for the positive intent. So when you encounter a dark deed in the past, you can always ask what was the positive intent behind it. And that can be also quite powerful. So with some people who have, for example, had Nazi memories, um, we could ask what was the positive intent behind it. And sometimes what came out was that in the Nazi ideology, there was the concept of the Übermensch. There was the concept of evolution, actually. The idea that whoever we are at the moment is not the highest human that can walk the earth, but we can evolve into something higher. And that is actually a really positive thought. What made it evil at that time is that the way the Nazis understood evolution was like, we are evolving and then other races should die. That, that's what made it evil. But the, the pure idea of evolution is, of course, very positive. And if we can take, if someone had that in their past, and they can say, like, okay, I take this positive core of evolution, but I'm getting rid of that mistaken idea of the concept of an enemy. Yeah, we yeah. are evolving, but not just me, but everybody else on the planet. There's no enemy. There's no other race that shouldn't evolve or can't evolve or whatever. Yeah. All I mean, if you turn it like that, it's becoming a very positive existential program. And it's actually, it's, it's also implying that core that we say, you know, like, get rid of the concept of enemy. That's a really, a really powerful part, I think, of of the whole past life work, right? That eventually the concept of enemy becomes so futile. It, it, it's obsolete. It's it's an absolute nonsense because you are. If you find an enemy, you are that enemy as well because it's also in your past life. It's very powerful that people who were Nazis are sometimes reborn as Jewish in their present life. Mm. There are cases like that, exactly for that purpose, to whoever was your enemy, now you. So if you are fighting the enemy, you're fighting yourself. And that's the highest level of this reincarnation understanding when I said, you know, that it's only the I am that, that uh, reincarnates. It's a consciousness itself that every life is a manifestation of the ultimate consciousness. So... Uh, who is not you? Who is not that conscious? Everybody's that consciousness. So you cannot have enemies without harming actually yourself. Yeah, it's, it's obsolete. It becomes a non-existent concept um, on a certain yeah. level. Yeah. Um, one thing I was wondering, and I, I feel you've already touched on that a bit, but um, in terms of someone going through a regression process and i'm actually keen for you to talk us through that a little bit in a, in a sec you know how that mm. actually happens um mm. but how how would you safeguard 
against someone tapping into memories that are overwhelming or traumatizing. A bit like, I guess, in any kind of psychological therapeutic approach, if, especially if people are dealing with a lot of trauma, there's always a risk that rather than being therapeutic, it becomes more agitating, um, you know, re-traumatizing essentially. Yes. Is that yeah. something that comes into into the past life process or because earlier you said it's like the system is protecting itself in a way? The system is protecting itself in a way. So at the beginning of the session, I give suggestions that those things appear from the past that are necessary to understand the therapeutic question. We usually start with the therapeutic question. We don't just dive into the past uh, life or life, but we are exploring something that is important for that person in the present. And we are asking for memories that are important for that. And that seems to already create a basic shield that only things come up that are important in the present to understand. And sometimes they can be traumatic in a sense of emotionally shaking. But I never had a case where that trauma was so great that it caused any real trouble. It's more like an emotional abreaction in that moment. Mm-hmm. And then with that emotional abreaction at the moment, I deal therapeutically, which means that I allow it to come up, but only to the level of knowing that it's there. So I give suggestions like just watch that, just get to know that it's there, but you don't have to go into it 100%. There are actually therapists who believe that you have to relive the whole trauma again to unleash that energetic blockage. I don't believe in that. I I actually think that's more harmful than useful. So I only take the clients to the level where they learn that it exists and they even feel the feelings, but only to that level that they are aware of it. And then I tell them you don't need to go deeper than that and the consciousness reacts to that. They don't. And then immediately once we have that memory coming up, we are doing something positive with it. And then usually by the time the session finishes, it's no longer that shaking. Although I have to say, and that's why I said it's the hard road to therapy, that it is tiring. One thing that I hear from my clients, and I'm not making a great advertisement for this, but uh, I just feel like I want to say the truth is that what I one feedback that I, I hear over and over again is that I never thought this is so tiring. That this is such hard work. Mm. People think it's a time travel movie, and then they realize it's hard work. But then that work is uh, put to a positive intent, and that's what safeguards most. Also, and this is very important, is that I found that if a person is not ready to deal with whatever is in the past, then usually the memory bounces off. It's very interesting. Um, The psyche has its own protective mechanisms. And the way it bounces off is people don't take it seriously, people don't follow it up, people don't work with it. Yeah. So So, when a person is not ready, it's like a dream that you forget the next day. Yes, yes. Just like it doesn't matter. 
oh yeah, I had this weird past life thing, whatever. And then you kind of know that's it. It was just a little curiosity for these people, but it's not going to go deeper. If it's really something that that person needs in that moment, then they are living with it. It's not just in the session, but they go home and sometimes have dreams, synchronicities, um, reflections that they bring back to the next session. And it is becoming an organic, ongoing process of self-exploration. And what self-guards against the trauma in that case is that it's very interesting. It's becoming an adventure. And people are quite willing to go through a little bit of pain if they feel that there is something in there that is really going to enrich their lives. Mm. Like a fairy tale hero, you know, it's okay to have to go through some unpleasant experiences because I know that there is going to be a huge reward at the end. And it's very rewarding. If, if you dare to go into it, it's very rewarding. And then people don't usually mind that there is something negative coming up. Well, and it sounds like people in that position also have a sort of an observer consciousness so they can experience their past life, their memories with a certain level of detachment at least. That they, yeah. yeah, yes. And the actual technique that I'm using is facilitating the observer status. Mm. So um, let me talk us through that briefly. So how, how would it look? So if I book in for a past life session? Yes, if you book in for a past life session, what would happen is that first, I would not have a session with you. I would just have a talk with you about an hour or more where I get to know you and you get to know me. And it's very informal. uh, It's free of charge. It's just really a friendly talk that ensures that it's a good idea for you to go into this. And I found that that's very important. Whenever I tried to skip it because someone said, no, I'm sure I want to do that and let's go straight into it. It never was good. Okay. Um, even, even if I know the person, even if you came to me and we already talked to each other, I would still insist on that. And then after that preliminary session, we would also identify something that is important for you right now in your life that you would say is the most important question in your evolution right now because that I would use as a trigger so when we start the actual session which is based on it's a it's a mixture between a guided visualization sort of thing that allows your mind and body to get into a relaxed state of mind which is perceptive and an energetic work um, it would be a long, long time to describe it in detail. Mm-hmm. But if anyone wants to work with me, I do describe it before we actually go in. I do describe it to a level that you know what's happening, but not too deep that you don't have surprises because it's kind of nice to have an induction that is interesting for the mind. Yeah. And within that induction, we would use that question that you have which can sometimes even be a phrase or we anchor to the word or to a sentence we use that as a trigger to bring you into a past life that holds a key to understanding that issue and 
first what happens is that we usually get an empty mind. I'm actually using uh, the metaphor of a um, lake uh, that is that is taking you over into another time and into another place. And usually the mind gets empty, so it's not starting straight away with impressions of a past life, but it's usually an empty mind. And when you need to catch some information that you perceive, and it might be visual, but it might be energetic, or it might be even auditory, or any sort of other internal representation that is allowing you an entry into that life. And then I perceive as my job to ask the right question. It is very important not to lead. So I'm trying to avoid asking any sort of questions that would give you hints that would change the direction of your thinking. So my job is to ask neutral questions that uh, just help you to unfold whatever is coming up naturally. It is quite easy in that state of mind to get lost. It's like a dream. And then if you have an external voice asking questions, it keeps the story sort of intact and rolling. Yeah. And the, the observer status is always capped. So what is very interesting, they've done actually studies where they measure the brain waves throughout a session like that. And, you know, usually in a normal meditation or a normal relaxation session, what happens is that the brain waves slow down to the alpha range. Um, and in past life sessions, it's different. It's very interesting because the brain waves go from quite high, the normal waking consciousness, to quite deep. But then the, con- the, the brain waves start to jump back to the beta, to jump back to the fast everyday consciousness, and then they go deep and then they jump up again. It's an up and down, a constant up and down. And when I read that study, I was thinking to myself, this completely makes sense from my experience. Because what tends to happen in these sessions is that the person's consciousness is jumping. It's constantly jumping between what you are today and those memories of the past life. So it's not a time travel experience. It's not like you go away. And uh, sometimes that happens. It's quite freaky when that happens. But it's not ideal. It's not what we want. What we want is that you have access to those memories, but you are there with your present consciousness to have that observer effect. And that usually works like that. And so the you person, aware, so I was going to ask, the person then narrates his, his or her experience as you're in response to your questions? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. And that's also quite important because they keep with the story when they speak and they don't get so lost in details that might actually just make it too dreamlike, too to even process it. Having said that, I always give time to not to speak because it's probably something that you may have experienced in your multidimensional experiences that there are things that cannot be put into words. And when I feel that the client is accessing something like that, then I sometimes say something like, I'm going to stop talking for the next couple of minutes or for as long as you need it and just experience whatever you're experiencing now 
Mm. Let me know when you have experienced this. You don't have to talk. So it's not, there is no constant pressure to talk. Um, sometimes it's very important to just access an energy. And I just say, like, just access that energy so that you know it's there and you don't have to talk. We, we have spoken a lot now about the negative past life experiences, you know, traumatic experiences, being the victim, being this. Mm -hmm. But it's also, it's, it's not just that. That's just half the side of the thing. The other side is that you can also access what I call resource lives. You can access lives in which you had, for example, very good company, very good development. You had very good evolutionary things happening to you. And these can be super useful because you can access the energies of those positive memories mm. and observe them, anchor them, and then bring it into the present. So when that happens, I just leave the client. I just say, soak up that energy. Take it with you into the present. And that's sometimes even more powerful than going over the trauma because you like bringing out a little treasure, bringing out an energetic yeah. treasure of the past. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. I love that name, resource life. So it becomes a resource, right? Then now, yes, yes. Um, yes. and it sounds like something that you really need to balance things. Like you can't just be just dealing with the painful memories all the time. Absolutely, um, absolutely. So I always make sure if I have a client who has a traumatic thing coming up, the next life is a resource one. It's very important to balance them, not just go into the horror movie, but also go back, go into the the magical stuff you know we all had fantastic things in the past that are worth reconnecting to and sometimes the trauma is blocking that and then once we relearn that there were times when things went really well then we can believe that they can go well again and we can bring that energy into the present um i mean sometimes we are moved to tears sometimes i'm moved to tears because we are accessing such fantastic energies that it's just absolutely beautiful. Mm. And I like to have, I mean, I was talking always about sessions. Um, sometimes I do a single session with a person if they're curious about a certain issue, but I prefer um, I like to give a tenor block. So I find that 10, 12 sessions is the ideal length where the past can be explored, can be brought into the present. If there's anything in the present we need to work on. We have time to do that. And then look into the future, look into where the existential program is going. Mm. And then the whole thing is becoming a complete sort of journey that allows the person to then go into a positive future as a result of it. And how many lives do you find? So you're talking about having some person having like 10 sessions, for example. Mm -hmm. How mm -hmm. many lives do you find come up, you know, that, that one has to or that, that play out? Because my understanding is that we have literally thousands of lives in our past. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, um, yeah. But I, I guess there are maybe some that are more significant at this point in time because there's more of an energetic charge or, or exactly exactly so we just have like a half a dozen dozen coming up not more than that 
and we only spend half of these sessions with the past and then i like to move into the present and in the future yeah. so not an awful lot we also like you would you would literally use the nar- lose the narrative it would be too hard to uh, look into more so like you're saying we're just looking at the ones that are most related to the issue that you're bringing up and and what about the intermissive period the period between lives do you uh-huh. ever go there does that come up in your work yes yes it's a very good question and it's one of the most intriguing things um I do try to go there and we do try to go there. And sometimes a lot of interesting things are coming up with working with the intermissive period. But it's also the most difficult thing to do. I remember that I was doing a workshop with Raymond Moody, you know, the father of near-death experiences. Mm. And he was saying in this workshop that all the people he interviewed who had near-death experiences, they said essentially the same thing. They said the experience they had while being, quote-unquote, dead, while being in that in-between period is essentially infallible. They can tell something about it, but everything they're saying is just metaphoric. It's just an approximation Ineffable, I think you mean, right? Ineffable, Ineffable yes. yes. Sorry, yes. Um, so it's not something that can be put into words, and it, it's, it's not something that is a story as we know it. So when we access the in-between state, this is the problem that we are having, is that the experiences are very, very hard to put into words. And when you are putting them into words, it's already distorted. So the best way to work it is probably on an energetic level. Um, I also work with people who had near-death experiences. There are some people who had near-death experiences and then they want to explore further and they end up coming to me wanting to explore past lives. And it's very interesting to work with these people because with near-death experiencers are sometimes Sometimes I get sessions where they just say like, okay, I'm there. I tell them, you don't have to speak. Okay, I don't speak. And then they are gone. And then an hour later they say like, oh, this was fantastic. Thank you so much. <laughs> like, what was fantastic? I can't tell you. Okay, goodbye. <laughs> and it's, it's fantastic in one way because I can feel that something really happened and something is really valuable, but it's intellectually completely frustrating because there's nothing that I can put down on pen and paper and nothing I can publish and nothing I can tell you. So it is a great mystery thing between life. It is not something that is easy to talk about, but it is there. You can work with it and it's extremely subtle. And I think it's the science of the future you know, we talk about that with Wagner at the IAC conference, and hopefully we are going to talk uh, more in the future. And we're talking about these um, with, with many people that it will require a new methodology. To work with the in-between lives will require some new methodology. Moody is working on it at the moment. And I'm very curious to see what comes out. And just briefly, maybe to explain, when you referred to Wagner there and the IAC, that is the International Academy of Consciousness, and yeah. 
Wagner Allegretti is a reincarnation researcher. Yes. Yeah. He has he has written a very good book called Retrocognitions that is very useful when you want to explore these things on your own. Because you can, you don't necessarily need an external person. But I find an external person is useful. When I explore my past lives, I like to ask another therapist or someone knowledgeable to help me, uh, just to ask questions. It's helping that there is another consciousness sitting there asking questions. And I think the ones who do it the best, they are the ones who are interfering very little. Mm. Now, we, are, we are trying to interfere as little as we can, especially energetically. If someone, for example, among my clients has an energetic way of going into their meditative or altered state of consciousness, I let them use that. I yeah. try not to impose a lot of my stuff on them, only if they need it. Um, I mean, I'm a hypnotherapist on paper, but I actually don't like that word because I am not using hypnosis in a sense of hetero-hypnosis. You know, I'm not using my energy to bring them into an altered state. I'm just guiding them to use their own energy to get mm, into that mm. state, which is very important because otherwise it's getting intrusive. Yeah. Yeah. And just one thing I was curious, I wasn't quite clear. Do you record your conversations with your clients? Are they audio recorded so they have a record? Uh, yes, if they want to or if they agree to. Yes, yeah. so I like to record them and I also take notes. Yeah. And, of course, these are these belong to the client, so they do whatever they want yeah. with it. I, I, have, I haven't, at the moment, I still have a study going on so if you like, I can, I can give you the link to that because I was actually looking for people who are willing to be a bit more experimental and give me feedback, not only on their personal experience, but also on the metaphysics that they are exploring while they are doing the past life work mm. um, and who are willing to do 10 or 12 sessions in a row. And because it's a sort of, study um i also have it a difference it's, it's not a payment scheme it's a donation scheme so there's a suggested donation uh, for it but it's very uh, discounted and it's also voluntary so i was saying to people that if someone doesn't have the money but really 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 wants to do this and really is committed to that then i take them on board or i take them on board for whatever money they can pay so it's a it's a discounted scheme and it's more for um, actually studying consciousness. So would that and be would that be essentially the same kind of sessions you do with clients or are you doing yes. something a bit different? Uh, no, I'm doing the same. So I'm not experimenting on any sort of technology or methodology. And those are exactly the same. So it's not an experiment in a sense of I'm not doing anything that has not tried and tested. Mm. But it's different in a sense of that I want to find out more about the evolutionary nature of the whole process. And I'm, I am I'm publishing it. Yeah. And when I say that I'm publishing it, it's, of course, published in a way like uh, therapists normally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So taking away the name and all the personal details. Well, look, I mean, I mean I'm definitely already interested in hearing what you're saying. Wow. So. Maybe we could, and it is actually time. I'm just realizing that we are we are really at the end of our call. It is. I I can't I can't even begin to tell how good it is that there are people who do 
things like what you're doing, you know, publishing, uh, doing podcasts, because I think there is a lot to explore and we need to support each other, you know, to, we don't, we don't have the kind of infrastructure than mainstream science has. So I think the way this sort of consciousness studies work is that we form a network and the stronger the network is, the more it's going to Yes, I agree. I really agree. Yeah, well, so thank you so much for doing this. And I let you know about the details. You're very welcome. I'm really happy that you're on. And um, I kind of think that I feel, you know, at the latest when you finish your study, it will be lovely to get you back on and hear how it went. Yes, I am, I am doing it industriously. So hopefully the first book is going to be out next year. Okay. That's my plan. Lovely. All right. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you very much. Bye. Have a good day. Bye-bye. I really hope you got some value out of today's episode. If you did, why not leave a positive review on iTunes and share it with your friends to help others find it? The tune seeing us out is Axel Teslev's Akasha. Axel is a Finnish virtuoso who creates some awesome fusion music that is well worth checking out. You can find more information about today's guest, including any links to their work on my website, multidimensionalevolution.com. While you are there, check out my blog and my book, which you can purchase from any good bookstore if you want to show your love for the show. Finally, please get in touch. Whether you want to ask questions or simply share your experiences, I always love exchanging information, and that is what this is all about for me. Otherwise, you'll catch me when you tune in again. Until then, I'm sending you my very best energies.